Hello, everyone, and welcome on into the Betting Pros College Football Look Ahead, where we break down all of the lines that have just dropped for the fresh college football week. We are going to be comparing them to Thor's adjusted lines and totals himself, and we're going to be coming up with the best possible bets that you're going to want to jump on before those lines move for the rest of the week. Thor, it was another exciting college football Saturday. We saw plenty of upsets. Are you ready for week three? I absolutely am. Yeah, and 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 what a what a day to be alive. Both the Kansas Jayhawks and the Syracuse Orange are two and zero and undefeated. So we're we're both sitting pretty right now. And yeah, I'm, I'm ready to turn the page to week three. I am sensing another Kansas Syracuse national championship in our future. I think that's what we're going to see here, my friend. As, as, as long as Hakeem Warwick doesn't block a shot that causes Kansas to lose in it. <laughs> All-time great shot block here. Thor Nystrom, our college football expert. I'm Thomas Viola, and this is going to be a doozy of a show, ladies and gentlemen. Let's jump right on in here with our first game up on the board. Liberty is taking on Wake Forest. The Demon Deacons are laying 17 points here, and you think that that is just too many points based on your total. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah. And, you know, a, a part of, of course, Sam Hartman came back last week. You know, that was announced a couple of days before the Van, or maybe one day before the Vanderbilt game that had shifted the line in a big way. It was, it was Wake Forest minus six and a half. It goes up. I think it might've closed at 13 and a half, might've even gotten up to 14 for a little bit. Wake ended up covering either number. So now I think that, that whereas the market before, you're sort of wondering like Hartman in his first game, you know, like, you know, how's he going to do? Did all right against Vanderbilt. You know, Vanderbilt was 2 and all though, but, you know, prior to that, um, and now it seems like the market is has the confidence back in Wake Forest. Whereas with Liberty, uh, Liberty was one of my favorite bets last week when they were playing UAB. They were a six and a half point uh, underdog. I, I picked them to win that game outright, and they ended up doing that. I'm still pretty bullish and, and certainly more bullish on Liberty than the market is. I still feel like Liberty has gotten toggled down because Charlie Brewer broke his hand and is out for a month or a month and a half. But we saw Keaton Salter against UAB. UAB has one of the best G5 defenses. Liberty was able to move the ball there. And Keaton Salter brought several different elements to the offense they did not have with Charlie Brewer, namely athleticism and arm strength. So, the, you know, the dimensions of the field change a little bit with Keaton Salter back there. I, I, I think that this number is a little bit rich, and I'm probably going to end up being on the underdog in it. All right, the next game up here is going to be Toledo versus Ohio State. I have a feeling this is going to be one epic battle for Ohio. They are the the Buckeyes, 31 and a half point favorites here. And are you at all perturbed by what we've seen from the Buckeyes now? Yes, the Notre Dame game not great, but they were able to come back and have a solid performance last week. Yeah, I I wouldn't say perturbed. I, I think it, I think you can explain it. You know what's going on, sort of with the offense not being quite as explosive as we thought it was going to be. Losing the, the two first round receivers and then Jackson Smith and Jigba. They they have not had access to him since the first half of the Notre Dame game. He suffers that injury. Then he was withheld in the, this past week's game. Um, it seems like he might be missing this this coming week as well. Um, at least Ryan Day had indicated that in, in his comments to the media right before uh, this past weekend's game. Julian Fleming, one of the, one of the other issues for Ohio State this, this past weekend, Julian Fleming was also ruled out of the game. So you were down to you know Marvin Harrison and Egbuka, and then the guys behind them we don't really know very much about or whatever. 
did not have the legitimate wide receiver three that Ohio State always has. They always have a first rounder that's that's their wide receiver three, but they're down to two stud receivers, which almost any other team in the nation would be happy with one stud, and, and Ohio State got has two. But that, I think that's the difference between you know where we thought Ohio State would be and and right now. And again, w- without especially without Smith and Jigba. I think this line is rich as well. You mentioned that Ohio State opens at, at minus 31 and a half. My adjusted line on it, which isn't even baking in the, the Smith and Jigba injury, like, you know, I'm not, not, not baking in all the, the injuries on the lines, just what it would be in a vacuum, both teams full strength. Ohio State is favored by 27.4 in, 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 in my numbers. I like Toledo. I was on their over. It was one of my favorite over bets over the summer. Um, I, I think that they're a solid squad. They haven't really gotten the shot to sort of strut their stuff. Week one, I, I forget, I think they were playing an FCS team, but th- this past weekend they were playing a quasi-FCS team in UMass and they just drop-kicked them. But I, I think that they should be able to hold this game within or stay within 30, 31 and a half points. I'm playing the world's tiniest violin here for Ohio State's receiver <laughs> woes. It, yeah. it worries me a little bit about C.J. Stroud and what we're going to see out of him at the NFL level. I know that he's so hyped right now, and with good reason. He's looked certainly the part – but the receivers that he's had to throw to have just been an embarrassment of riches. We'll see if Toledo can hold them in this one. Like you said, those injuries are going to play a big part. Texas A&M did not have a good weekend to say no. the least here. No, no, no. Now they get to go play the Miami Hurricanes. They are five-and-a-half-point favorites. Are you out on the Aggies? Johnny Manziel said he has two years left of eligibility. Could he come suit up? <laughs> Well, unless unless Mike Evans gets some eligibility back as well, I don't I don't think that'll save it up for for this coming season. But I, I I'm not going to say that I'm out on them, but I will say I was very surprised when this line dropped, and and it's still you know live right now. Texas A and M minus five and a half. Miami is a really really good team, and and generally when teams are coming off the loss or the poor performance, and we're going to get to a couple of of, the, of these games that I'm describing coming up here, but the line it's the it's reflective of that, you know, and that's a lot of times we'll see like overreactions. This line to me seems like an overreaction in AM's favor, even though they had you know they took a crap on Kyle Field against Appalachian State on on Saturday when their players in the in the pregame pep rally on Friday were making jokes about nobody knows where Appalachian State is we don't even know if they play in you know in D1 and they were making all these jokes at Appy State's uh, to, you know uh, whatever expense and then they they go out and they they super duper sluggish on on offense it, the game was basically the exact opposite as Appy State's the week before we definitely have to toggle up Appy State. A- Appy State was was running up and down the field with North Carolina. They, they were they got in the shootout game, should have won it. Chase Bryce airmailed a wide open kid on the two point conversion that would have won the game. They end up losing that one in overtime by that point. And then the next week against Texas A&M, you beat them seventeen to fourteen going into to College Station. The first one w- was in Boom, but this past one was in College Station. I so. Yeah, I, and then as far as this one, I just think that the, the line is too high. My, my adjusted line on this one is Texas A&M minus 1.3. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm rather confused as to why it, it was dropped here. This would be more the line of if A&M had just, you know, won solidly against uh, Appalachian State, that would have been more what you would expect the line to be. But I'm very surprised after the showing that A&M just had that, that this line is, is opening up more that way. I, I do like Miami in that one. The next game up here that we've got Michigan State versus Washington. Mich State minus two in this one right now. And you have this game pegged the complete opposite way. Yeah, I do. Um, 
You know, and, and what, so this is one where I'm going to have to think through this one and handicap it this week because I'm probably more bullish on Washington than my numbers are. And my, and my numbers, you know, like at this point, it's like 80% of them are still um, uh, based on last year's uh, data and, and stuff like that. And like 20%. And then as you go forward each week, you're adding percentages to the data from this year against last year. Washington was terrible last year, but it was an entirely different staff. Like that, that team, all they could do was defend the pass. They stunk defending the run. Their offense was an abomination. Now you bring in Caleb DeBoer, who is basically the inverse of Jimmy Lake. Like Jimmy Lake, the previous head coach, was a, a guy who, you know, it's like a DB leaning type guy. And, and his team, that was the only thing that they were good at because he coached up the secondary and, and the strategy of the defense was to put the, the secondary in, in, in good spots. Whereas now you have, an, you have a true offensive coach in Caleb DeBoer, a guy wherever he has gone, the offense has ticked way up immediately. And he brought in his old friend, Michael Penix, who has looked pretty good so far. Washington's 2-0. They haven't really played anyone yet, though. Uh, you know, this past weekend, they, they blew up Portland State. So you're sort of wondering on them. Um, we're we're going to get a, a much better idea of Washington seeing them play Michigan State qualitatively. Wh- where are they at in game three of the of the DeBoer era? My number on it is Michigan State minus three and a half. But again, I am definitely more bullish on Washington than my numbers are. So this is a game that I'm going to I'm going to look very deeply to in th- this week. But this was not one of the discrepancies right when the lines jumped where it, it had me running to the window to buy a ticket because I need to get my head straight on, on both of these two teams before I bet it. And first off, I think I might have misspoken there. I might have said Michigan State was the favorite. Washington favored by two in case yeah. I wasn't clear. And you bring up a really good point there about uh, when you start tossing out data from last year, how you really mix that blend. A- at what point in the season are you completely moved over to data for this season and, and you're saying, okay, this is just who this team is now? It's, I mean, it's, it's really not until like game 10. It might, it might be game nine. I would have to look at like the, the progression of the percentages, but it, it's somewhere in there where, where then it just totally flips over. But you don't want to toss out the baby with the bathwater sort of and just go to the numbers, you know, all this year, this early, because what's the most predictive thing for the future? It's what has happened in the past and especially the, the recent past. So you can't just toss it all. But especially this year with the unprecedented player movement in the offseason with the transfers, and then we got way more coaching staff changes than in a typical offseason. And, and with some of these teams, the, the strategy, the way they play is totally different than, than from last year. And the roster is also very different. Like there's obviously an enormous difference between Michael Penix and then Horde and Morris and so, some of those different guys that they've tossed out over the last couple of years. So they made an enormous upgrade there, which, which takes up their receiving core, makes life easier on the offensive line and the running game, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, I mean, you have to have last year's data in it. Um, and so, yeah, but like, you know, you, you cut it like by 10, you know, 12%, whatever each week until it gets down to zero. That is really surprising to me that it would be that late in the season. I expected you to say something like three or four or five games, because especially with the amount of changeover, you alluded to it, the players moving in the transfer portal, the fact that it's not the pros. You have players leaving every year. Your team looks very different every year. It surprises me that you would hold on to data for so long there. 
Well, it's it's just because it has predictive value, right? Like if 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 it didn't, if last year's results and last year's data and and the way that the offense and the defense play, if it if it if it wasn't predictive in in some way, then it would just be all this year's data starting out right away in in the season, like after the first game or whatever. But of course, you have fluky performances. You know, like week zero, week one, we had some some fluky performances. I think we're already starting to see. You know, some of them was just someone had a good day at the office and someone didn't, and so you can't completely base your numbers off that because it's going to give you wildly skewed lines against what the Vegas one is Vegas the way that they're making these numbers it's very similar like their power ratings it's not too far off from mine and the methodology behind it so you know as as long as your numbers are somewhere within the ballpark of the Vegas numbers like overall you know you're sort of on the right path and then you just find the ones where they're they're painted outside the lines where you can explain it to yourself um, as a perception versus reality thing and then you can buy a ticket on on one where you feel like you're getting an advantage there now, the next game up on the board that we have here, Kansas State. You got K-State laying 16 at home against Tulane. Where are you going in this game? Yeah, well, I, I definitely lean Tulane right now. My, my adjusted line in this game is Kansas State minus 10.2. Uh, Kansas State is – you're going to have to pay a little bit of a tax, especially early in the week. Like, I, I would predict that this line is going to come down and be closer to, like, 13 and a half, 14 by, by game day. Um, but like, you know, especially early in the week, you have to pay this tax on Kansas State because they look really good this past weekend. You know, there was I didn't love Missouri, you know, cu- coming into the season, but there were some people that like Missouri and Kansas State really controlled that game um, against Missouri th- this past weekend um, ended up winning it. Uh, 40 to 12, you know, I mean, but like, you know, even early, like it was 20 to three at halftime was when I sort of, you know, tuned that one out and, and, and flicked to my other games on my other screen. Cause you, you know, Kansas State just ran away with it, con- controlled the entire game. I think because of the way that that game progressed, the, the, there's a little bit of line inflation here, but what I would, what I would tell people is Tulane should be getting more respect than this. Last week they beat uh, Elkhorn state 52 to nothing. And the week before they, they, they beat up on UMass, for, uh, 42 to 10 so that you know the 94 to 10 and they played two crappy opponents but I think there's reasons to be optimistic or, or reasons to believe in Tulane they brought back a ton of guys a ton of guys their their quarterback a lot of their offensive line most of their skill uh, players they brought back a bunch of guys on defense as well I, I don't have the returning experience uh, metrics right in front of me but they were you know top 20 top 25 whatever and then I know that they – it's a team that has coaching continuity, and I can tell you the coaches where they did not have the continuity, it wasn't those coaches' choice. It was Tulane wanted them out. Uh, I can tell you right now that the offensive coordinator last year, Chip Long, they did not like Chip Long. The players didn't like him. The uh, Willie Fritz didn't like him. Willie Fritz, you don't even have to read much between the lines about when, you know, when he was talking about Chip Long uh, over the offseason, even towards the end of last season. To, to like to see that he was just talking mad crap on on Chip Long, like it, it, it would be stuff like um you know they they hire a new offensive coordinator and like oh Willie what you know t- tell us about this guy and he'd be like well I'm just excited to play in a game again where everyone in the stadium doesn't know what's coming it, it you know I I'm exaggerating a bit but th- those were kind of the the comments that were being made I, I think Tulane's roster is certainly better. Uh, overall than it was last year uh, by a, a decent amount a, a couple steps up. They, they, again, the, the coaching staff and, and the schematics are more on point this year for sure. And, and there's not sort of like the infighting and the uh, resentment or, or whatever is going on there. But plus, as you'll recall, Michael Pratt was he would get injured last year, he, you know, in and out of the lineup a little bit. He he's a very tough kid. He gutted through a couple injuries that 
he probably should not have gutted through. Um, you know, I think there was one with the shoulder. I, he took he took some shots in the head as well. Um, and so that dragged the team's performance down a little bit where they were a more talented team than they showed last year. Again, they, they got all the guys coming back. Pratt's been healthy to this point. Um, I, I do like Tulane in this game. I, I mean, I'm about with you. I can't say that I'm watching too much K-State basketball so far. Uh, but basketball. Where am I at? Football this season. But the next game up here, Buffalo at, uh, at Coastal Carolina. Buffalo did not have a fun weekend at all. And now they find themselves as 19 and a half point dogs to Coastal Carolina in this one. And you're actually leaning a little bit with Buffalo here. I am. It's it's one of those where you're going to, you know, it's like a hold your nose bet. Um, you got to take a little bit of a leap of faith with Buffalo. Um, you were mentioning it. They lost at home to Holy Cross over the over the weekend. It wasn't not as great. Ba- not great. It wasn't as bad. As, there was a couple of teams that got smoked at home by FCS teams. This past weekend was a super wonky week, you know, relative to what, what we thought was going to happen. But obviously that was not good, right? But I will say – Look at Coastal Carolina's game. They also played an in, 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 in FCS team. They ended up winning it, but it was just by four points. They were, they were playing Gardner-Webb, right? They, they went 31-27. to 27. And if you, like, look into the box score, the advanced stats, stuff like that, Gardner-Webb maybe deserved to win that game. Um, it was one where, where Coastal ended up stealing it. Now, Coastal looked pretty good in the first game against Army. They, they beat Army by 10 points. But one thing I've been watching for early in the season – I think we got to downgrade the, the service academies a little bit, the, the triple option running teams a little bit, because the, um, the the rule about the cut blocks and you can't do it outside the tackle box, stuff like that, the teams that it hurts, it's the triple option teams. You don't see other teams cut blocking all the time, like outside the tackle box, whatever. So it's that's something that I, I think hurt the service academies a little bit, and that was Army's first game. Uh, playing under the new rules when they played Coastal. So I think that context deserves to be mentioned. And like I said, Coastal ended up beating their FCS opponent, but it was just as embarrassing, like looking into the, the advanced sets. They played just as poorly. Coastal is a team, you know, I was just talking about, uh, you know, with with Tulane, a team that brought everybody back. Coastal did bring Grayson McCall back. So I don't think people quite realize how much they lost, but they lost so much around him. I, I think they only brought back like three offensive starters, and they, there was a few more on defense, but not by many. I, I think they only returned single-digit uh, starters. And you had some studs there, right? Like Isaiah Likely, you know, obviously we, we, we all know Isaiah Likely. That was a big loss for them. Um, their receiver, I don't think it ended up getting drafted, but was a really solid player for them, Hiley. Um, And so, anyway, a little bit lower on, on Coastal. Um, Buffalo, it, I, I'm not saying that I'm high on, on Buffalo, but um, – in terms of the Vegas number against mine, I just think it's it's still too inflated because people know who Coastal is. They know that they have McCall, and and Coastal happened to win their first two games, even though they weren't terribly impressive in the last one. I'm going to take the value on that one, just because I think it's my line on it, it is uh, Coastal Carolina minus 13. So I'm showing like six and a half points of line value on the Buffalo side. I'm going to hold my nose and jump on that one. But I will say for people out there, this one you could probably wait on a little bit because I don't think the market is going to see this one the way that I do, especially when people start looking into Buffalo losing at home to Holy Cross last week. So I would wait on this one because it could still drop the other way and you're not going to lose any value. Like, you know, dropping beneath the 19 and then the the 18 mark, it doesn't start to get relevant until you drop below 17 and a half because those aren't, aren't key numbers. But you could wait for it on the other side. It's at 19 and a half right now. 
All we got to do is get this thing toggled up. I mean, 20 and a half, you're over one semi key number. Once it gets up to 21, now you're on an enormous key number. So I, I think, you know, Buffalo folks probably should, should wait and, and then just see what happens with the line. But I, I do lean Buffalo early in the week. The good news for Buffalo folks is also I don't think there's going to be that many people rushing to bet on them. They might be able to get a better number on uh, yeah. with Coastal Carolina, hopefully taking some money. But what about the Hoosiers, my friend? They are playing Western Kentucky. They are seven-point home favorites here. Do you like the Hoosiers in this one? Um, no, I don't. I, I I like the other side. I, I like the dog in it. My my line on it is is dang near a pick em. Um Wow. That is, that's just about a seven-point discrepancy. Exactly. Yeah. In, in fact, I actually have Western Kentucky favored by 1.2 points. Um, the market has been higher uh, on Indiana than me, certainly. Like, you know, we were talking about this, was it uh, two weeks ago on, on the show about the Illinois-Indiana spread when that came out and it, it opened at Indiana minus four um, and Illinois had just annihilated Wyoming. And it, it, like, I, I was just really confused by that. Um, Indiana did end up pulling that game out. But they got a huge assist from Brett Bielema. They probably Indiana should not have won that game. Um, and then last week, it, it's sort of like what I was talking about with Coastal. People are just going to look at the, you know, the, you know, it, first of all, Indiana's record. But then also looking back at last week results, you're going to see that they beat an FCS team by 13 points, and you'll be like, okay, that, that's fine. They, they played Idaho, not a very good FCS team. Idaho though was leading for a long portions of that game. Um, they, in fact, they led 10 to nothing at halftime. So th- they really controlled the first half and, and some of the struggles with the Indiana offense um, that I expected to see manifested more. You saw those in the first half. Now, now Indiana did have, you know, come out and have a, a solid second half so that they could come back and end up winning by double digits themselves. But I do think that this line is inflated. And this is even coming from someone that is not an enormous believer in Western Kentucky. They, they are certainly not last year's Western Kentucky. They've, they've definitely toggled down. I think they're also 2-0, but th- their wins have come over. I, I think it was an FCS team and, the, and then Hawaii, of course, in, in, in their opener. But I, I just think th- this line is pulling it too far the other way for Indiana when objectively these two teams are, are far closer qualitatively. You're going to give me a touchdown. I'm taking that all day with the underdog. Hey, I mean that has got to be one of the most one of the biggest discrepancies that you have on this board here. I'm not high on Indiana either. Uh, they they have done nothing to jump off the page for me. But that's not the highest game that you have on your board here because there is one more Western Michigan hosting Pitt. Pitt, we know what a wild game they had this past weekend. Western Michigan ten point dogs in this spot, and you think they are getting too much credit here. You think the books are uh, just too low on pit? I do. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I've been beating this drum for the, the last couple of weeks and uh, boy, has it been frustrating. I, I back pit both their, their first two games. The first one, they win it by a touchdown, but I lost the bet by the hook. Cause it was, it was pit minus seven and a half. They end up winning by seven this past week. Um, everything that I, I saw in my handicap, like th- most people were on Tennessee, you know, I mean, like th- that line had opened, whatever it was, Tennessee minus four or four and a half, whatever. And then it had, it had gotten yanked all the way up to, you know, six and a half or, or, or whatever it was um, because people, you know, believed in Tennessee, did, did not believe in Pitt. The things I was seeing in my handicap, those bore out on the field. Pitt controlled a lot of that game, you know, it's especially early on. Um, but then, uh, you know, then Tennessee ends up forcing overtime and, they win it by seven in overtime. Tennessee does. So it was another, I, I'm now over two with Pitt betting on Pitt. 
having lost by a combined one point in, in both of those two games combined. So that's a bit frustrating, but I still believe that I'm seeing Pittsburgh clearer than the marketplace is. Um, you know, they, they Pittsburgh played better against West Virginia, I think, than the market expected. They absolutely played better against Tennessee than the market expected. A lot of people thought that Tennessee was going to ball race them. Um, so circumstances sort of cost us there. But in, in this one, I, I think maybe we can get our money back on Pitt because Western Michigan is not good. Uh, Western Michigan, the, the past couple of years, you know, they evoke in your head like uh, an explosive offensive team and, and, you know, and a team that's been, you know, pretty solid for a long time. You have Fleck and then, you know, the Lester and, and stuff like that. The past couple of years, you had uh, Sky Moore and then Ellaby, you know, the, their passing attack was just awesome. And um, th- they still have the running backs that came back, but they lost those two guys, Ellaby and, and Sky Moore. They also lost a bunch of guys, you know, guys around them that they were on the very, very low end of their returning experience chart. Um, and again, losing your best players as well. So I'm, I'm absolutely lower on them. And I think Pitt is they're getting downgraded a bit because of some of these near misses. And then they lost last week in overtime. They would have been two and oh if they hadn't. I think we're getting a, a huge discount here because of all those things. And again, Western Michigan's a fade team for me anyway. My line on this game is it's Pitt minus 19. So I'm showing almost double digits of line value on Pitt. And this is the one that I, I think we're going to get paid back for those very two, two very near miss uh, losses that we had on Pitt. Well, I wish you the best of luck in that one. As long as Pitt isn't beating Syracuse, I am perfectly okay with taking them in a game. One more here on discrepancies before we get into some of the big games, but Georgia Southern taking on UAB. Yeah. The spread is 11 in favor of UAB, but you are going the opposite way. Yeah. And, and this is, you know, I was talking before about results the week before and then, um, you know, some overreaction, stuff like that. Um, so the, the line, like you said, it's minus 11, UAB minus 11. Uh, my spread on this game is UAB minus 15.1. I f- recall I faded UAB last week. You know, I, I took Liberty. I thought Liberty would upset UAB. They ended up upsetting UAB. But now I'm going to flip to the other side and I'm going to be backing uh, UAB because the the perception of it, it's it's on the other side. It's Georgia Southern. Well, I mean, it, it's both sides because UAB just got upset. But specifically on the Georgia Southern side, because everyone and their mother saw Georgia Southern just upset Nebraska and then it cost Scott Frost his job. The, the ax immediately fell on, on Scott Frost. And so, you know, publicly right now, Georgia Southern is way more in people's consciousness. They're, they're way more uh, confident in backing them than they would have been before. But let's not forget what this is. Th- this is – you had Clay Helton, who has never been known as an X's and O's guy. He has always been described as a relationship guy and a solid recruiter, not X's and O's. He, go, he gets fired from USC – he ends up taking the Georgia Southern job. Georgia Southern is a school that has had run the triple option for two decades before that. Um, and, and it's, you know, Clay Helton has started certainly faster than, than we thought, uh, you know, in, you know, with this upset. And now they're two and all. But just, you know, look at Georgia Tech with, with you know, Jeff Collins had taken that over from Paul Johnson. Jeff Collins, a guy who had a lot of success uh, before at, 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 at Temple. He goes over there uh, to Georgia Tech. He it, The same thing that Helton's trying to do now, take a, a triple option running roster and team and then switch it into, you know, more in, in Collins's case, more pro style. In Helton's case, more spread and, and, and air raid type concepts. But Collins has struggled mightily in doing that. You know, he's like nine and 
23 or whatever over, you know, in, and now he's in year four. Um, I'm not sure that Jeff Collins is going to make it out this year. That, that context, I, I feel like, is it, it's important to note here because I think Nebraska, they were a team that arrived this season dead on arrival. I, I think their players knew, you know, like if, if anything bad happens, Frost is gone. So, th- you know, then we're thinking about the next coaching staff and different stuff like that. The fan base there, every time something bad happened or the other team had a good play, it, it would get dead silent in there. Like it was just really awkward. Um, Nebraska made a, a horrible decision. Trap Albert did by bringing back Scott Frost. Um, wasn't good. And Georgia Southern happened to get the opportunity to ambush them when it was like, you know, last rights time for Scott Frost and they – they gave they gave Clay Helton like the spike to stick in his heart or whatever, but I don't think that that has predictive value going forward. I mentioned before UAB has had one of the best defenses in the G five going back several years. Last last week they had to prepare for a Liberty team that was playing a quarterback that was totally different than the quarterback before him. UAB did not have tape on Keaton Salter, so it was it was sort of a, a difficult task, stuff like that. But just in a vacuum, like I said, I, I think this line should be like UAB minus fifteen. I think you're getting value on UAB just because they got upset last week and because Georgia Southern pulled the biggest upset of the week. Now, you talk about Scott Frost and Nebraska. Things don't get easier in the first game of the post-Frost era here as now they will host the Sooners. Nebraska getting 13 points at home in this one. Do you see a Scott Frost po- uh, a post-Scott Frost bump? Or is this line off the other way? Well, so my adjusted line on it's it's Oklahoma, the visitor favored by 10.3. So so in a vacuum, I'm showing 2.7 points of line value on Oklahoma. Um, you can explain that for sure just by, you know, they, they, Nebraska just asked Scott Frost. Now the interim you know staff is going to take over, stuff like that. I, I think that that's what it explains it. Um, I'm, I do not believe that I'll be betting this game. I, I certainly did not like, you know, Nebraska, um, you know, for all, all those different reasons. I, I don't think they're as talented as maybe some other people thought. But Oklahoma, I think that they're down probably more than people are are giving them credit for. It's just that they haven't played anybody yet. So I would love an opportunity to fade Oklahoma. It's just I'm not sure that I could do it th- this coming Saturday. Another thing that I'll, I'll mention is, uh, you know, you see this a lot when there's a, a firing in season where – um, you know, analyst people like, you know, sitting in my seat, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll say, oh, you know, uh, you know, the, you fade, fade the team, you know, right after they, they fired their head coach, they're going to be in disarray and they're going to be, their mind's going to be elsewhere, stuff like that. Um, the, the, it has been so ubiquitous teams that fired their coach, then overachieving like the, the couple weeks after that, there's actually the new coach a bump. That's a yeah. thing. Well, what they call in college football, they call it the dead cat bump. You know, it's like your free fall that hits the ground, bounces up or whatever. Like, you know, th- there's been a lot of teams that that next week and even maybe the week after, but specifically in that first week that have overachieved relative to the line. So don't just assume that stick it in an enormous fork in Nebraska. They very well may have a better effort this coming week. And don't forget, you only lost the, the guy in the top of the totem pole as far as the coach. The, the rest of the coaches are the same. And I think at this point, we could say that Scott Frost was not adding value to Nebraska. In fact, he may have actively been taking it away. So, I, you know, you, you're baking all those different things together. I'm probably going to stay away. But that's a fascinating informational game that I'll be tuning in for just to get some information about both those squads. Now, speaking of coaches that may not be popular at their current destinations, Brian Kelly's in a little bit of hot water at this point down in Louisiana. We got people clamoring maybe for uh, for a little bit of the rage and cage in, in Coach O coming back, which would be the greatest thing ever. But 
LSU takes on Mississippi State here, and LSU hosts as three-point dogs. Are they finally going to get right? Uh, well, also, this is a pretty surprising line. You know, I mean, like in 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 you know when when you compare it to what it would have been over the summer. I I, I don't have the line. You know, if if they drop one of those game of the year lines on it, but I have to imagine not only would it have been flipped. But LSU would have been favored by by more than the three. You know, maybe it would have been like, you know, by six or whatever. So the the whole thing is is switched basically just because Mississippi State's looked pretty solid early on in the season, and then, I mean, last last week LSU drop kicked an FCS team. Nobody watched that. The game that everybody watched was when they were fumbling over each, you know, th- themselves when they played Florida State, and then they you know missed the extra point at the end and 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 ended up losing that game by by one point. But I, I do think that there's some of that stuff going on with the perception. My, my line on this, it's pretty dang near a pick. Um, um, I, I actually have LSU favored by seven-tenths of a point. So I am showing 3.7 points of line value on LSU. Um, you're going up against the perception on that. But I, I, I do think that there's there's value on on LSU. Florida State is better than than they've been in, in recent years. We, we've already seen that. So LSU playing with them, like losing, it, it's not the embarrassment that it would have been the past couple of years. And then Mississippi State, I, I do like that they beat uh, Arizona on the road uh, yesterday. Um, Arizona, you know, they, they've been winning one or two games now for several years. But Arizona is a bit better. Um, than, than they've been. We'll, we'll end up seeing by how much. But um, the game before that, the Mississippi State blew out Memphis. I'm not very high on Memphis, uh, you know, like this year, you know, in comparison to some of these these years past. So I'm not sure that Mississippi State, they're, they're undefeated, but I'm not sure their resume is quite as impressive as maybe the, the public thinks it is. And I think that that Florida State, the, the, the gag job that happened there at the end and stuff like that, I think that's sticking in people's minds vis-a-vis LSU. So I, I think if you want to bet on LSU in this game right now with where the line is, you're basically getting three or four points of line value for free just because it's the perception thing. But then again, you have to cheer for Brian Kelly for an afternoon, so you'll have to decide if that's in your best interest. Now, you talked about Florida State there. I am a hard pass on any Brian Kelly love, but Florida State, they're taking on Louisville here, a team that we've mentioned a couple times on the course of the three episodes of this show now. They are one-and-a-half-point favorites. Do you think that uh, – is Louisville going to start rebuilding? Are they going to be able to come back here and build off last week, or is this a Florida State game for you? This is Florida State for me. I, to me, Florida State is you know two steps ahead of what we have seen Florida State these last couple of years. Solid two steps above. They, they are now a solid team again, top thirty, top maybe top twenty five by the end of the year. You know we'll, we'll kind of see how that ends up shaking out. But I, I trust Florida State more or less to to at least play their game. Super duper explosive uh, rushing attack. They've now augmented that with at least a competent passing attack, which is that was the problem before because Travis couldn't hit anybody. But now they, they have receivers. They, they brought in some guys in the portal. Travis has gotten more accurate. So that's that's also playing up, up the rushing attack. And it seems like their defense is going to be better th- than it's been the past couple of years. So I, I, I like Florida State. As far as Louisville, um, you know, obviously in week one, Thomas, you watch every play of that one, but they were one of the most disappointing teams of week one. Just got absolutely hammered by, by Syracuse and – 
the the Louisville fan base, they were complaining. Uh, they have not stopped complaining that Louisville quit in that game. You know, it's like if, if you read any of the Louisville writers or talk to any of their fans, it's, you know, basically they had two guys that, that showed out in that first game. It was Harrell and then the, the transfer running back that, that they brought in Evans. But like there were you, there was a noticeable lack of effort on the field with Louisville once the game started to get away from them, and so you were wondering last week when they they had the Friday game um, at UCF, you were sort of wondering how they were going to play. I watched every play of that game uh, on on Friday night, and I can report back to you, even though uh, Louisville did spring the upset and and, and in a place that has traditionally been difficult uh, for visiting teams, like UCF had some long home winning streak heading into that one. So I think people just looking at it, you know, treetop uh, looking down that that did not tune into that game, they're going to be like, oh, you know, maybe – you know, Louisville was one of those teams that like Thor was alluding to before where they just had a fluky performance in week one, but they're actually the team that we thought they were going to be in the preseason. Um, I would do a not so, I would do a Corso not so fast, my friend to, to that thing. The non-fluke uh, result was them against Syracuse because they just got beat, you know, and they got beat in the trenches. They got beat on the perimeter. They, they essentially got beat on every single phase and then they quit. Um, whereas against UCF, that was just a really ugly game. Um, I, to, to me, both those teams are not what we thought they were going to be heading into the year. Um, my more significant takeaway from that game is I'm downgrading UCF in my head. Um, I, I didn't think Louisville did a whole bunch to beat a quality team on the road, which tells me that maybe UCF is not the quality team that, that we thought that they were going to be. So I don't give Louisville quite as much credit for that. I certainly like Florida State more. My, my adjusted line in this game is Florida State minus 3.7. It's not as many points of line value, you know, just in a vacuum as some of these other games that we talked about. But I, one of these teams is a fade for me, Louisville, and one of these teams has a big buy sign on it in Florida State. I'm going to be on the Seminoles on Saturday. Now, speaking of potential buy signs here, my friend, let's go to the Syracuse-Purdue game. This is the one that I have been eyeing. This is, to me, the test. Because Purdue, yeah, they're not the class of the Big Ten, but I want to see how Syracuse reacts to a Big Ten opponent here. It's in the Carrier Dome. Syracuse is favored, getting a whole point in this one. What are your thoughts? Because the schedule gets good for Syracuse for a tiny bit after this. They do play Virginia. Then you got Wagner. And then you get into the meat of it with that NC State, Clemson, Notre Dame, Pitt, Florida State. Jeez, it just goes to the end of the season at that point. But this is the game to me where we're going to find out if the orange is real. What are you thinking? I think so. Yeah, it, it's not just the, the you know, the, the the opponent, the quality of the opponent, because because that that's one thing, you know, just just seeing them against a, an opponent like this. But the other thing is the things that Purdue does well are things that, you know, at least I, I won't say that they haven't been tested in it, but like they, they played Louisville, the passing offense for Purdue is, is what I'm alluding to, which is awesome. And and now the Syracuse pass defense, you know, is, is going to have to defend that week one. That seemed like more of a, a I mean, it, it was part, of, of course, defensive improvement by Syracuse for sure. But Malik Cunningham looked awful in that game. Um, he just looked really, really bad. So I'm not sure, you know, how much of that was was just a Malik Cunningham production through the air. And then how much was, like, how far did Syracuse's past defense jump up? And I would have loved to have gotten an answer to that last week heading into this game. Where, where that's going to be the most important thing, the most important matchup in this game, it's it's that Purdue passing offense against the Syracuse pass defense. Because if Syracuse can at least slow them down to any degree, just not get it run over there, they got they got a solid shot in this one. But but last week Syracuse plays UConn, and you know fortunately for us, Thomas, we 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 did well with that game because we you know we you know whatever, and Syracuse ended up covering against UConn. You know they were laying a big number, they ended up covering on the road. 
and, and you and you called that too. You said the number opened around 21 and a half. 20 and a half actually was crazy. Yeah, and low. you said yeah. this is gonna close 24. That is what it closed at. Cuse didn't matter. Didn't covered matter. anyway. Yeah, they, they cash tickets for everybody. But you know what we were talking about last you know, as far as UConn goes, UConn has not really been this their offense at least. They thought that they were gonna have Taquan Roberson the entire season. He he was their crown jewel of, of their transfer portal class, the guy that Mora had gone after. He, you know, he had been previously stuck behind Sean Clifford. Um, you know, so so Mora decides we're gonna bring him in here. A super duper athletic quarterback has some playmaking chops, stuff like that. But he got injured uh really early in their first game game against uh, Utah State when, when UConn was playing them. They've been playing this this backup quarterback the, the last few weeks. He's not good. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, Syracuse, you know, shut them down. And, you know, and we thought that they, they were going to, but, like, you know, it's UConn's backup quarterback that UConn did not expect to be playing this season. So that doesn't have a lot of pretty predictive value for us either. How will Syracuse's defensive backs, the secondary, do against the Purdue receivers and then Aiden O'Connell, you know, more to the point, the Purdue quarterback, I think he's going to be a, a draft pick, you know, in, in this next class, probably like a, a, you know, fourth, fifth rounder, probably more like fifth, but like, I, I think he's an NFL quarterback and their Purdue's receiving core has gotten, um, well, I shouldn't say better, you know, in terms of talent, because, you know, last couple of years, you, you lose Rondell more, you lose David Bell. You don't have a singular talent like that, but I think people expected them to fall off the shelf, whereas Jeff Brom went out and made a whole bunch of smart uh, signings in the transfer portal. He found something with Charlie Jones from Iowa. He signed two different Iowa receivers, which was brilliant because, as everyone who has a television knows, uh, Spencer Petros cannot throw the ball. He cannot hit a player on the hands. And so the receivers for Iowa have just been withering on the vine. Uh, Tracy has not had the, the as, as quick of a start, um, but Charlie Jones has started off like like a banshee. Charlie Jones is one of the best uh, special teams players in the entire nation, returner previously, but we had not gotten to see as much of his work as a receiver, again, because of Spencer Petras. He has been awesome in, in these first few games. I'm, I'm fascinated to, to see this one. I, I know that, like, I, I like Syracuse's offense, um, you know, we've talked about that, the, 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 the sideline to sideline passing attack that Robert and I has added to that shotgun spread option offense that they were running, you know, with Schrader and Tucker. You now have another dimension with that. But the, for me, this game is going to come down to can Syracuse slow that Purdue passing attack at all? If, if they do, they're going to win this game and start all three and all. Oh, I so hope it happens. But right now, let's talk about some top five teams here, particularly the one that Syracuse is going to be beating in the first round of the college football playoff, the Alabama Crimson Tide. They had a 20-point favorites against Texas, who is still not back. But they look Texas didn't look like they weren't on their way back. It's going to hurt without Quinn Ewers, but we're talking about Bama here. They were able to pull that game out, and now they sit as mere 48-point favorites at home to UL Monroe. Uh, can you lay a gigantic spread with this team again? They're reliable to beat up on bad teams. I think that we just caught Texas. This was their get-up game. This was their let's go out and let's show them that we're we're back and legit. And quite frankly... Ewers doesn't get hurt. I don't think Alabama is undefeated right now. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I'm a thousand percent. Yeah, and that's, the, I mean, the context of that makes the game for Alabama even more embarrassing because Quinn Ewers gets knocked out right away. I mean, anyone heading in, if, if you'd said that Hudson Carter is going to play the vast majority of that game, 
everyone and their mother would have taken Alabama minus they, they would have laid the points in the second. Um, yeah. But it, in Hudson card, like Hudson card offers more mobility um, for sure than, than Quinn Ewers, you know, he's more mobile um, can evade rushers a little bit more like that, but he doesn't have near the arm. That that's the problem. He's more like on the, I'm not, I'm not calling him Colt McCoy, but he's more on that spectrum of like the, the scrambler guy and, and, you know, whatever. Whereas Quinn Ewers is, he's like Matthew Stafford, or at least that is what he has been comped to by all the different recruiting analysts, stuff like that. So you lose the arm talent, you lose, lose the arm strength. And yet Texas was still able to stay within one point of Alabama. Now you turn the page to this week, my numbers have Alabama, it actually is showing value on Alabama, which never happens. Like, like my numbers, you know, Vegas is always way higher on them. You know, you're usually paying a tax. Exactly. But th- this week you're not, you know, and I think in part because of the way that Alabama uh, looked last week, my line on this game is Alabama minus 53.3. So, you know, a part of you, you're thinking, well, oh, wow, th- this is a, a very, very rare opportunity where I can bet Alabama where the, the line is, is lower maybe than it objectively should be. And then also you get the, not revenge against you all Monroe, but like a, a take out your frustration game, you know, after they were, especially their offensive skill guys, like Jameer Gibbs got shut down, at least as a runner against Texas. The only way they could get him the ball was throwing it to him, you know, like outside the, the tackles, the short stuff. And then Alabama's receivers, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on with Alabama's receivers this year. They, they have taken a significant step backwards and, and, and we'll have to see how that, that manifests. But I'm not sure that I could take it here. You know, even, you know, like I said, even with the idea that maybe they take out some steam and maybe there's a little bit of value. I didn't love what I saw out of Alabama last week. And I I think, yeah, I I think, you know, some games it would just be like the the regular game plan. I think for Alabama this coming week, it's more of a, um, how, how do you say macro against micro where, Nick Saban is going to look at some uh, more systemic issues that came into play against uh, Texas, as opposed to thinking about UL Monroe a whole bunch and trying to figure out how to game plan for UL Monroe. You have to figure out what receivers are going to be on the field is one of them. Like they haven't played Ja'Cory Brooks, like, you know, like all season. Then he ends up coming in the fourth quarter. He catches two consecutive passes. He was all of a sudden Alabama's leading receiver in terms of yardage just after two plays. And and this is what kid we thought was going to be one of their top two receivers coming into the year. They've just made a bunch of weird decisions like that and, and, and stuff like that. So I think Alabama needs to figure that stuff out. And meanwhile, this is on the complete opposite side of the polarity, of course. UL Monroe is one of the worst scenes in the nation, but I think UL Monroe is a little bit better than, you know, like, I mean, sort of where you think UL Monroe is. I'm not talking by a ton. I don't think they're a ball team, nothing like that. They're certainly going to get run over in this game, but they, they were frisky when they played funny enough in the opener, they played Texas. Uh, They ended up losing to Texas uh, by 42 points, but they did a couple things in that game that were interesting. Um, Texas talked in the in the post game about like you know UL Monroe did a few different things we weren't expecting. They they discombobulated us on, on a few different things. So I and, and and the other thing was they brought UL Monroe over the summer or over the offseason. They had brought back in the offensive coordinator that they had a couple years ago. The last time UL Monroe was competent, like when they were you know sort of contending for you know quasi ball eligibility, getting up to like five wins, whatever. Uh, they had this guy named Matt Lubick was was running their offense. The past couple of years you go to like Rich Rodriguez and, and different stuff like that and. The, the offense just cratered 
I, I like the coordinator they have there. I also like the defensive coordinator. He, he was doing some stuff that was confusing Texas a little bit. Texas did drop the big number on him. But, you know, like I said, Texas sh- showed some respect after that game. Ewell Monroe last week, they played an FCS team. They ball raised them. Um, so I, I do like Ewell Monroe a little bit more. Long, short story long, I, I, I think I'm, I'm probably going to stay away, even though there are a couple things pointing to potentially Alabama as a bet. Only you could have a five-minute explanation for a game that you end with. I'm not going to bet it, though. (laughs) The next next one up here, though, the team that took down Alabama, at least on the rankings, Bama, of course, with that close win over Texas, drops to the two spot. Georgia rises to take their place. I mean, when's the last time we've seen Georgia do anything good? I'm struggling to remember. (laughs) But here they're going to be on the road taking on the Gamecocks of South Carolina as 24-and-a-half-point favorites. You think this line is slightly off, and the Gamecocks need a tiny bit more respect? Yeah, it's it's you got to pay the tax, right? In, in this case, you know, the Georgia tax, especially, you know, of course the title, but the, the proof of concept in the opener blowing out Oregon, I think that's why you're, you're, you're going to have to pay a little bit of a tax that the line opens 24-and-a-half, Georgia minus 24-and-a-half. My line on it is Georgia minus 22. So, so I, I think that that's what that two-and-a-half points is it is attributable attributable to uh, South Carolina last week. I was hoping for a better showing against Arkansas, not because I think they're better than Arkansas, but because Arkansas had two injuries, two major injuries to starters in their secondary that ended up missing that game. And it seemed like because of those injuries um, and, and South Carolina having a deep receiving core, and then of course Spencer Rattler as well, that they should be able to do a little bit better in that game. Um, the, the offense, it didn't really come alive until the end. They only had, uh, nine points at halftime uh, and 16 points after the third quarter. And they scored a couple touchdowns in, in, in the fourth. Uh, and their defense didn't play very well either. Um, we'll have to see if, if, if they can improve on the defense. And then there, we're still the, – the, the, the book is not in on Spencer Rattler. We'll, we'll, we'll put it that way. Um, and so th- this is going to be an interesting one to see him up against Georgia. I don't think I can take – you know the I, I don't think I can take the points. And I also don't think I'll be – paying that tax of Georgia, just, you know, being on the road against a competent opponent, probably a stay away from me, but it's going to be an interesting game. So one of my best friends is a sports reporter in Tulsa. And he of course covers all Oklahoma college football, all of that. Last year, he tells me, Tom, you have to bet on Spencer Rattler to win the Heisman. He's so good. Trust me. You want to bet on Rattler. You want to bet on Rattler. And I never let him forget it. What was that show? <laughs> QB1, QBU that came out. And it, Rattler was one of the quarterbacks featured. The man has the leadership qualities of a snail. Like <laughs> He was just berating receivers. He was a terrible teammate. I want no part of anything that has to do with Spencer Rattler. I'll be on Georgia in their freakishly tall 7'2", 260-pound tight end this weekend. But we've got one more game to get you here, and it is the big one for you, your favorite game of the week. We've got Thor's hammer of the week and it features a team that is having a pretty decent start to the season in cal berkeley and i say that because certainly compared to their opponents in this one anything's better notre dame the fighting irish have not shown much fight at all in this new era oh and two to start the season of course now coming off of that loss to marshall and they are 12 and a half points here hosting berkeley and the bears are we respecting Notre Dame the proper amount, or is the book over-adjusting based on that upset? 
Yeah, no way. The the book is way over adjusting, and and to me, this where they opened it, it, it this is a mistake line. At least to me, like I fully expect that this one by kick, it's it's going to be over fourteen and probably even closer to seventeen. My adjusted line on this game is is Notre Dame minus nineteen point five, and that's even like I significantly toggled down Notre Dame uh, this past week. But like it seemed, Vegas certainly has has pulled them down more, you know, and, and overreaction to last week's upset loss at home to Marshall, of course. And then with Cal, it seems like they're overreacting on Cal, you know, going the other way. So it's like, you know, this is what it should be, but like they're lower on Notre Dame, and they're, you know, it, it ends up giving us this window of value with Cal. It's because you know they start two and zero, whereas Notre Dame is is zero and two. But the team Cal hasn't played anybody. Yeah, first, Cal's Cal's not doing much. Yeah, the first game they played UC Davis. Like, who cares? And then last week they hosted UNLV, who's been one of the worst teams in the FBS now for you know a decade plus. They only won that game by six points. So I, I don't really understand what we're doing with Cal here outside of just like looking at the number and then you know the, their record. And then the same thing with Notre Dame on on the other side. Do I love Notre Dame, what Notre Dame did last week? No, they you know they did not look good. I you wonder you were wondering about Marcus Freeman a little bit. You were wondering about Buckner a little bit, and then you're also wondering like seems like they have to give too much of their offensive usage. Like there's too much on the plate of, of Tyler Buckner, like stuff like that. So it's like I understand that there's you know there's legitimate reasons to doubt Notre Dame as an elite team, but recall. The first game when they were playing against a team that everyone had in the national championship in Ohio State, Notre Dame played with them the entire game. I think they ended up losing by eleven, but they comfortably covered. They were covering that game the you know the entire time against they, the number whatever. They they were plus five hundred dogs in that, and they nearly did win that game. Sure did. It's not like this team. It's not like this team is terrible. It's just that they went out the next week after having a comparatively really good game against Ohio State, and then the next week was a massive letdown. I'm completely with you here. A, a thousand percent. Yeah. And just like we got the, the letdown game, you know, which is sort of famous when a team goes up and they have a near miss loss, which would have been absolutely enormous. Like they would have put Marcus Freeman up on the statue at touchdown Jesus. Like if he won that game, he would have been, you know, the, the, the mayor of, of South Bend the next day. But instead you have the near miss loss. And then they, I mean, admittedly, they, you know, they, they, this is no secret that they, they were happy to admit this to the media afterwards. They just overlooked Marshall. Marshall yeah. came in with their best performance, like the the We Are Marshall, you know, the, the whole deal or whatever. They were fired up for that game. And they, they have a very underrated coach in Huff, um, stuff like that. And, and Notre Dame just overlooked him. And, and, and part of Marshall and then Marshall's best player right before the season, he walked away from the team. We'll see if he ends up coming back. But Rasheen Ali, this, you know, the kid who had all their offensive usage last year. But um, now they have this, this transfer from Florida State who's, who's getting a bunch of touches, et cetera. But I, I think that that's a one-off, whereas you had the – the deflation game, the next game, you come out flat, you end up get, getting caught flat-footed against a team that was super-duper fired up and probably a little bit more talented than people think, even even with the, the loss of Ali. So th that may have been more predictable maybe than – maybe we should have seen that coming, I guess is what I'm saying. But this week, it should be the opposite principle. Notre Dame is not going to be overlooking anybody now. They're not going to be overlooking Cal, I promise you that. And plus, Cal has the 2-0 record, but especially with Notre Dame being 0-2 – you are now backed into a corner. You must have – everyone needs to bring their, their A game. Um, I think they're going to get coached up pretty pretty tough this week by, by Marcus Freeman. I think Marcus Freeman is going to be looking in the mirror as well. I expect them to have a whole lot of things addressed. And also not just the, you know, the effort thing and the, where their headspace is, 
but also in terms of the schematics, trying to get the running backs more involved, taking some of that usage out of Buckner's hands. Maybe we get more of the play action uh, game and stuff like that. Get get Buckner on the perimeter more with the bootlegs, different stuff like that. I, I think game plan wise, there's a whole bunch of different things that you could do different, just qualitatively in a vacuum. This line should be something like Notre Dame minus 20, despite the way that they've they've started this year in, in, in terms of the records. I, I really like Notre Dame in this game. I, I can't believe that this line opened beneath two touchdowns. I expect Notre Dame to drop the hammer on Cal on Saturday. Well, Thor, I am going to run to the sportsbook counter to bet this before that line moves. But in the meantime, if people want to check out all of your fantastic work in college football and beyond, they can head over to bettingpros.com. They can hit you up in the Betting Pros Discord. All you have to do to join bettingpros.com slash chat, it'll get you right into the Discord. That is free. You have to... Uh, obviously there are some premium benefits here that you're going to want to check out once again on bettingpros.com and of course they can follow you on twitter at thorku that is going to do it for us here this week best of luck to everyone may the bets go your way may the lines move where you need them to and let's cash some tickets this weekend rock shock